0: Motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that, baby. I'm not the zodiac. And if I was,
1: I certainly wouldn't tell you.
0: Gentlemen, welcome back to the One Hit Minute Productions Patreon podcast. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and we have been doing a decade project and we'll continue to do a decade project. It's the year of our Lord 2023. We're diving back 10 years to look at the movies that still deeply resonate with myself and my incredible guests. And this was the most obvious selection that I could possibly have made between content, between subject and guest of all time. This is a movie that in 2013 at the Sydney film festival, there was a audience rapturously anticipating a drive sequel. And as I sat down and this film played, I've never seen more walkouts in any film that I've ever been a part of. And it was particularly noticeable in like a two and a half thousand seat theater that by the end had about 1500 people left in it. And so it is my pleasure to welcome the host of Increment Vice, a friend and family member of all things One Him Productions, the legendary Travis Woods to talk about Nicholas Winding Refn's Only God.
1: When I was pregnant with you, it was strange, you were different. You wanted me to terminate, but I wouldn't. I don't understand you, and I never will. To meet the
2: devil
0: time to meet the devil how are you
2: oh i'm good i'm good always happy to talk about some neon shaded pretentiousness <laughs> as is any card carrying member of film twitter if it's got neon in it uh it must really be really good really right you gotta talk about it, talk about it. Uh, about... i mean i actually i actually think this is quite good um it shouldn't be good it shouldn't be um for reasons we'll discuss Yes. This should not work. And from a, you know, a lot of people argue it doesn't work. Um, I'm gonna say something real quick. Let's let's start off. Let's 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 come right out of the gate here. Let's pull the pin on this. Uh, you and I are recording this while shaded beneath a cataract of grief. <laughs> yeah, Because we lost one of the greats this week, the week that this has been recorded. We lost director Hurricane billy friedkin billy uh he passed away May rest this, in peace. this God week bless him uh, i someone someone uh, i saw someone wrote uh you know uh i hope he died peacefully because that's the only peaceful thing he'd ever do uh <laughs> and, I, and i i think i think the great anna swanson wrote that but if she didn't apologies to, to her both her and whoever did say it but um the reason i want to talk about friedkin as a means of entry into only God forgives is and, you know it, a lot of people probably saw this this past week, you know, where they they famously Friedkin and Reffin had a couple conversations about sorcerer and uh, yes. and only God forgives and Reffin desperately wanting to link only God forgives <laughs> to sorcerer um so uh, we're gonna what I'm gonna do uh, uh, for this very special episode is I'm gonna actually uh do a little story time start off with a little story time
0: i i um, and i can i just say i've heard Blake this story without this i, yeah. I I've, I've heard this story and i'm so yeah. glad it's being committed to tape i'm so glad yeah. it's being committed uh, to tape. there's
2: there's 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 a lot of other parts of the story that we're going to save for maybe a later thing but for mm. today i will i will mention this which is uh, a couple just a few years ago um i was on the i was on the phone with with billy freaking and i'm gonna call him billy because he told me to not because i'm one of these people it's like oh yeah i saw marty scorsese king of comedy with bobby de niro it was great uh freaking insisted <laughs> that you call him billy so i'm gonna add a respect call him billy i was on the phone with billy freaking for about two hours um he, he, we were talking about this other oh thing my God. and uh uh after we got done talking about that other thing which will come up sometime maybe in the future sometime in the future but uh we were talking about a thing and then when we got done talking about that thing we started talking about other things and mainly what we talked about of course were the movies and uh this was early 2021 i think and so there weren't a lot of new movies coming out and so we were talking about the last 10 years of cinema in general uh at one point freaking just started barking out director names a lot of uh <laughs> a lot of uh you know a lot of sacred cows were slaughtered that day and I'm not gonna talk about it here because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but uh, he, he's definitely a man of opinion uh, a man prone to volume and uh but one of the names he shouted out Nick Reffin. you know, he's my friend, but my God, that kid doesn't have a fucking clue what his movies are about. With all this crap, all this neon pop music crap, he doesn't have a fucking clue what his movies are about. Uh, you know, as I'm standing there, trembling, shaking, oh, you know, just just God. hoping not to say anything. It pisses him. Uh, and uh, you know, he told us, "I'm setting a scene. I promise, as I always do. I promise this is going to go." I oh, no, no,
0: no, I, I, but, uh, I, this, I love this so. I, I love it. and I'm chuckling because I know you. Like Travis is. Travis is a tough, a tough egg, but sometimes he, he like with the adoration that he has for the great Billy Freakin, just the fact that he was so ruthlessly candid with you, it almost feels like a dream. And I'm imagining your face on that phone call and it just gives me the giggles. Like I just, I I, I, was,
2: you know, I never truly understood the term flop sweat, (laughs) flop sweat until that call and my body was sheened with a second layer of skin that was purely liquid um as i was shedding my body weight through my pores i was i was i was in a panic but i was also entertained because he that nickname hurricane billy he was pure hurricane billy he was not in a good mood that day um was very nice to me but he was not in a good mood and so anyway you know he's like nick Reff, and he's my friend but he doesn't have a fucking clue what his movies are about he's i'm going to tell you something He's like, you know that little prick. He once said that he'd never seen Walter Hills, the driver. Come on, and I'm like, okay, okay, sure, sure, Mister Freed. Call me Billy. Okay, sure, sure, Billy. I get it. He's like, now listen to this. I once surprised his ass. He's like, <laughs> I, I once invited him over to my home. He's got a, you know, he's got a very uh, the thing. It's hard to do. I can't do it well. But if you want to attempt a Freed. Con- impression you basically have to do christopher walken but it's like a chicago accident yeah Yeah. accent excuse me but he's like i invited i invited that little prick to my home and (laughs) he comes over in his little shorts like he's little lord fauntleroy and i surprise him by having my good friend walter hill at the dinner table And uh, he goes on to say, you know, he basically, you know, famously uh, for those listening, if you're listening to an episode about Only God Forgives, you've probably seen Drive. And if you've seen Drive, you maybe have seen The Driver by Walter Hill, which you should have. But if you've seen Drive and The Driver, you do know that basically the opening 10 minutes of Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive is essentially the first 10 minutes of Walter Hill's The Driver um, with... Not as great action in in Drive. The driver's better and has a better opening sequence. But it's it's him riffing on that. Um if we're gonna use car lingo, he's using the the chassis of the introduction of the driver to be the introduction for drive. And uh Friedkin was incensed that uh Reffin had the temerity to do that and then uh claimed that he had never seen Walter Hill's movie. And so he got he got Reffin to admit to Walter Hill that night over dinner that he had indeed fucking seen the driver and that he had used that intro as a means to getting into the story of drive. And I say that um, not just because it's a great story, um, not just because like I said, we are, we are all mourning uh, the loss of one of the, one of the big faces of uh, cinemas of new Hollywood's Mount Rushmore. Uh, but because we are talking about Nick Reffin, uh, and we're talking about Only God Forgives, which is a film that I don't think Reffin understood while writing it. I don't think it's the story or a film that he understood while filming it. I don't think it's a movie <laughs> that he understood while editing it. I think it's a film that he only understood once he had watched it. Yes. And uh, we're going to get into that. But um, uh, I say that. Uh, I don't know Blake how much you know about how only God forgives
0: came to be. But I would even... I I do know bits and pieces but you're here so why would I not want you to tell it cuz there's okay, a, you, sure, have a, sure. you have you have you you are first and foremost a great storyteller so I'm 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 all ears and so are the all people right, listening. Well,
2: story time, more story time I guess. So uh before Drive, before Drive, before he released this kind of candied uh, uh, pop film vision that
0: that Drive became, uh, dream pop vision. Our uh, friend S.A. Cosby and Jen Johans call it neon noir, like that. Neon for... noir. That's a
2: good. Yeah, that's a, that's 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 very that's very close. Nice. Very uh, it cute. is. It is neon, neon noir. That is what it is. it's neon. Noir. It, it is part of that genre. Uh, before he made his neon noir breakthrough into popular cinema with Drive, uh, and forever helped us ID the douchebags at the bar and the club
0: <laughs> by giving them a jacket they could wear that that, that is basically red flag incarnate. The um, only person that can wear that jacket, unironically, is Roxana Haddadi. and if Roxana oh, yeah, okay, is wearing sure. that jacket. That's that's as cool as she, she gets a me. pass. She gets a and pass. Plus, you know,
2: no one loves baby goose. No one loves baby goose more than her, I don't think. So you know, she can do what she wants. But uh before the making of Drive, uh Reffin was set to make only God forgives as his next movie, and he was securing financing uh with the film company Wild Bunch and mm-hmm. uh What's funny is, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm taking Refn at his word here, which is kind of hard to do. He is a bit like Friedkin in that he is a provocateur and a raconteur. And so you're never entirely a thousand percent sure how real the story is he's telling you, how much is done with a wink and how much is done uh, with total sincerity, much like his films, uh, Refn. Uh, but he 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 was talking to the folks at Wild Bunch and he basically, uh, there, he did not have a movie. <laughs> but he wanted to secure financing for him. He he didn't have a, a an idea for a movie really, uh, beyond they're like he, he you know we've made movies before. Let's 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 get a deal done. And they're like, well, what's your movie about? And he's like, um, it's about Muay Thai boxing and fighting in Bangkok. He just 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 spit that out as like a fuck. You know, hopefully they'll go for it. And it's a it's a it's about two fighters in um. In Bangkok, going up against each other uh, via My Thai. And they're like, sure, okay. We'll pay for three quarters. You pay for one quarter. There you go. Good deal. Um, now, what happened then is that Ryan Gosling uh, was also talking to him about Drive, and he wanted to make Drive right away. So they put only the God forgives on the back burner, which was already at that point, it was a thin, barely sketched sentence of a premise. There was... Yes. There were no Oedipal complex Oedipus complexes. There was no Shakespearean or biblical stuff. It was just two guys beating the shit out of each other in Bangkok. And um so they go, they make uh, they make drive. Um
0: and next he's gonna drive. say he's
2: never seen kickboxer, you know? Oh boy. uh <laughs> but uh everyone's seen that. Um but uh or blood sport.
0: Or or, Bloodsport. or hot shots part two
2: where uh, Charlie Sheen oh, does it. Brief, an amazing brief. Rip brief. Off of it brief nod to uh, hot shots part de um maybe Travis, I, ha- laugh I, now,
0: I now have a i now have a hot shots an original theatrical hot shots two poster adorning my roof in my office
2: oh, i like your style blake i always laugh when he dips his hands in caramel and he, he lifts them up with the the, uh, the gummy bears attached the gummy- and, he scree- <laughs> and he screams in victory i still think that's maybe the funniest <laughs> three seconds to sit on um so uh, he goes and he makes Drive, uh, a film that is both wildly successful and wildly misunderstood because it's essentially Taxi Driver um, yeah. set to Dream Pop. Uh, and, you know, spoiler, uh, the driver is not the hero of that movie. The driver is a motherfucking maniac. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, if, uh, if that movie was made in 1978, it'd be starring sweaty, bloated Joe Spinell. <laughs> As the fucking driver, all right. I mean, he basically did make his version of Driver. It's called Maniac. Yeah. Um. And, and that's uh that that is essential. It's a great double feature, actually. But put a pin in that, like. Um. So anyway, that movie gets released, uh, wildly successful, and now it's time. Now it's time for Only God Forgives. And I think the reason I I I, I mentioned that Friedkin story is. As I was recently re-watching the film for this podcast, I found that there was a lot to work with story-wise in this film, thematically in this film. But I think it was almost all out of the uh, kind of desperation. And if you watch the film My Life, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, uh, yeah. which was uh, a documentary about the making of this film, directed by Refn's wife, uh, whose name I know I'm not going to get right but it's uh, Liz Corfixen, I think. And, yep. and it's essentially, it's not quite uh, Hearts of Darkness, uh, you know, in terms of its its thrills. It's not exactly the making of Apocalypse Now. But it is a portrait of an artist who has no clue what the fuck to do next after Drive and the expectations of Drive. And it's a, very much an artist wanting to go back to making the weirdo European perverse uh, movies uh that he made before drive the drive sort of secretly is um and drive has
0: all the weird stuff in there but it's just couched in such a consumable genre yeah well i mean it's that it's easy to it's easy to sort of palette but when you go back and look at if you look at drive in its component parts i think you're so right that all of that dark awful shit is there like watching Gosling like hammer a guy to death in front of a bunch of semi-naked women is not a fun, heroic scene by any stretch of the imagination. And yet for whatever reason in the course and sequencing of the events that you remember it in your head, you're like, yeah, he beats that guy up for, you know, threatening this mom and her little boy. Like, but also he's a a psycho.
2: Well, we've been trained. We've been trained to watch movies like that. It's, It's, um, it's a movie that stars a Hollywood pretty boy driving a badass car, doing badass crime shit, talking to a pretty girl. Um, and there's worse people that he's dealing with, people that are worse than him. Uh, and he solves his problems with those people violently. And so everything about the movies that we've that we've seen and we that we've loved, and, and I'll say this out of judgment, but you know, there's a certain kind of cinematic vocabulary that we learn really early on, and. The film tricks us by speaking with that accent, but not using the exact same words, by whispering something actually quite weird and devious to us, but uh, accent accented in such a friendly way that we were like, oh yeah, he's the hero. He's a real hero, a real human being.
0: Um, oh yeah he's when he's, he's like a, i wonder why he's I'm like thinking one that.
2: he's like one step away from being tommy wiso in the room uh, <laughs> uh the driver like he is a seriously damaged human being uh who you know is just an, a force of absolute chaos who really can't seem to ever read a room that he's in um and instead just kind of trembles and looks like a, a lost baby with his face splattered in blood every time he does a boom boom and uh, uh murders somebody but anyway we digress this gets us to only god forgives which is a film that i think had a very bare bones plot uh going into it and i think and if you watch you watch this my my life directed by nicholas Whitney riffen uh,
0: and i love what you said there also just as a modus operandi like i think that someone like if you watch Hearts of Darkness um, by Francis Coppola's wife and you watch that movie, Francis in the middle of that is so emotionally naked that it becomes so revelatory because it's like you're getting an insight. The difference with my life, I feel, I think you nailed perfectly is Refn has such a performative aspect to his own storytelling that you don't ever quite know whether you're getting those depths or he's performing them. Yeah, makes it a very yeah. curious artifact because you're like when i was watching it too you know it's very hard to take at immediate face value if you know anything about Reffin. like you're just mm-hmm. kind of like he's kind of always a bit playful always a bit of a shit bag always a bit like high on his own supply sort of deal
2: and uh that said i do think there's a moment of realness in the film there's maybe two actually where i think Okay, I think he's being real. He's dropping the fuck around shit, and he's being real with this. And there's there's one where he literally slaps himself in the face and snaps at his wife because she she's like, "What are you so bummed about this? What is your problem with this movie?" And he, and he slaps because like, I fucking made a terrible movie. That's why. Like, I it's terrible. <laughs> like, he, after the he's, the film is yeah. wrapped and they're editing and they're in post, and he's he literally like he slaps himself in the face, and you almost think for a minute he's gonna like lunge at her. Uh, you know, I don't think that he is. He does not cut an intimidating figure, Refn, but in that moment, he becomes like a Refn character and he becomes very threatening and odd and and dangerous feeling. As he slaps himself and he, and he snaps, you know, I, I've made a bad film. That's why I'm mad. Stop asking me why I'm mad. I'm mad at a bad fucking movie. And then a little bit earlier in the film, he's very depressed and despondent sitting on a couch. And he, she's she's again, she's like, what is your problem? What is wrong with you? You know, you, 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 got, this, you got Ryan Gosling in another movie. it's a great script and he's like i have no fucking idea what my movie's about i have no idea what this movie's about all of which is to say that i think that in a panic kind of maybe like what he did with drive where he's like i'm going to grab a pre-existing work called the driver to be my fulcrum to 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 leverage my aesthetics and my thematic preoccupations and my visual style into a movie I think that with this film, he very wisely and cannily turned to uh, where storytelling uh, really begins. Uh, He went to Shakespeare, he went to the Greeks, and he went to the Bible. And he basically strip-mined these things for the themes that were most aligned with his visual storytelling. And I think he's like, what if I took a little bit of the Oedipus tragedy what if i took a little bit of the old testament especially the the idea of a vengeful god and the idea of hands as the physical manifestation of our ability to craft our own destinies uh because we were both blessed and cursed with free will and uh what if i just took uh, dash of Lady Macbeth here and there. Mm. With a little,
0: what if Lady Macbeth was Hamlet's mom? What would that look like? <laughs> and, and what so, if I cast a phenomenally, appropriately hot and devious Kristen Scott Thomas to play that? That's,
2: a, that's, who, that's... who basically plays a mix of Donna Ver, Donatella Versace and mm. Gemma Teller from Sons of Anarchy, <laughs> who herself is a Xerox copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of Lady Macbeth. Yes. Um, and yeah, I always think of uh, Katie Sagal because they, they look quite a lot alike in this film as well. It's, oh. it's, it's odd. You, you expect Charlie Hunnam to just come in out of nowhere swaggering, <laughs> swaggering with a pair of white kicks and his leather cut on. But uh, I digress again. Uh, and so... I think that if you have those things in mind and it's hard not to have those things in mind when you watch this movie, although I think quite a few people just turned their minds off when they watched this because they were so infuriated by it's (laughs) very kind of glacial pace. The fact that the lead actor only has 17 lines of dialogue. Uh, but, uh, this is a film. I think that more than anything else, see, we're two hours later, we're getting to it. Uh, I think this is a film that, uh, more than anything else is about, uh, humanity's relationship to its god whatever god you might happen to have if you have one i don't have the knack for faith but those who do have a relationship uh with with the god of their choosing and uh this film is very much i think about that so you know at its atomic core this is an old testament story about man's relationship to god yes and um you know Reffin himself after the film was made he you know he's he had a daughter and then his wife had a second daughter um who pops up in the documentary a couple times and uh as a toddler and uh he redfin found himself in a panic um after the birth of his second daughter he found himself full of rage uh and anxiety at the world that uh he had delivered his daughter into and so he didn't know what to do with those feelings and he had himself um there was a moment where he said he he was fantasizing about fighting god uh as an outlet for those yes. feelings what if i just could just if i could just beat the shit out of god for for setting the setting these rules up in, uh, in opposition to me um and i think that you can really look at this film as a story of as, of of Julian, played by uh, Baby Goose himself, Ryan Gosling, as this American expat, he lives in Bangkok. He runs a Muay Thai fighting club with uh, with his brother Billy, and um, Julian is a man who is much like the driver. He's very damaged. Uh, he's always contemplating his hands, and we learn. Throughout the film, uh, that uh he's a, he's basically Oedipus in that um he killed his father, beat him to death, killed his father, beat him to death with his own bare hands. Uh it's hinted through uh Kristen Scott, Chris, excuse me, Kristen Scott Thomas's performance. It's hinted, it's not made explicit, although it was made explicit in the script that um brothers billy and julian both had a sexual relationship with their mom and that julian uh, beat their father to death over it because he their dad was not happy about this and so he's constantly considering his hands in this film and much like a human being in the old testament the human soul in the old testament uh, of the bible he is considering what his hands can do that they are capable of phenomenal acts of evil and violence but they are also capable of unclenching opening up and seeking love and solace and pleasure from another and i think that that is the the central preoccupation of this kind of non-entity of a character is he, what, it, what is What is the Old Testament? What is the Bible but an ongoing story of good and evil? Yes. Uh, an eternal Muay Thai fight uh, between <laughs> the, the forces of good and the forces of evil. And... A bare-knuckle Muay Thai a fight. A bare-knuckle that. Muay Thai fight. And so all of a sudden, that, that offhand uh, Muay Thai reference... Uh, actually plays well in the film because it is uh, it's a film about the bare knuckle brawl yes not just between good and evil but the the eternal dilemma of free will which is what what color shorts what which fighter shorts are you putting on are you the hero or the heavy yes and throughout the film it gets mocked for this, but they're throughout the film. He's always staring at his hands, gossling, and he's and it's like he, he'll open them, he'll flex, and then he'll clench them. He'll open them, he'll clench them. And throughout the film, he's either using them to beat someone half to death, <laughs> or um, he, no other way to say it. He uh, there's a woman that he could potentially have as a love interest who, uh, at one point, he opens his hands. Uh, opens one hand, slides it between her legs, up her dress, um, and starts uh, pleasuring her. And first, you're watching it and I'm like it's okay, you know, it's just a weird, rough, sexual <laughs> moment. But I, I think it's something different. Uh, I think it's meant to be something different. This is a man who is reaching for the womb, which is as close to the powers of god that probably exist on earth aside from splitting the atom uh which i don't think julian's gonna be doing anytime soon (laughs) um but uh he's constantly reaching for the womb uh, where life can be created because i think he is a character who is seeking rebirth he is an oedipus who has already enacted the tragedy of oedipus And the film almost is a movie that asks, "Well, what happens after that?" Yeah,
3: and, and, uh, and,
2: uh, and and the film answers, "Punish." Well, you <laughs>
3: punishment. You, you you end up
2: you end up living in Bangkok. Your evil brother um, murders a teenage prostitute. Uh, is murdered by the prostitute's father, uh, and then that father has his hand lopped off by Chang, the local police lieutenant uh and 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 just want to say one before we get to chang that that i think that that is the central preoccupation of julian of his character is that he is a soul that is stuck between choosing uh good or evil and Mm -hmm. um evil is chosen via violence via beating people to death with his bare hands and good it's pretty uh, this is very elemental stuff uh is is always reaching for the womb reaching for the place where life is created uh, as a hopeful, as a, as a means of rebirth for himself, and things get complicated by local uh, police lieutenant Chang, uh, this man who essentially is God, he's God. Yeah, let, he's he's, let, he's an, he's an old, Testament, <laughs> old Testament God.
0: He is. He's Vithya uh Panjungam plays chang we're gonna fuck these names up we should probably just disclaimer to to pronouncing Thai names i'm gonna sort of fuck some of these up but my god is he an unfathomably unforgettable screen presence as chang holy incredible hell he's he's absolutely i don't think i've ever seen an actor like that that made me tremble in my seat he he's genuinely terrifying
2: I mean you look at him at first and you're like well who's this little 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 guy um which is you know what i think a lot of the characters also think in this film which is and none of them any and i think any of the characters that think that about him they, they meet pretty poor ends but um he plays this somewhat rogue police lieutenant who enacts his own version of justice vengeance and forgiveness throughout bangkok And when he, for instance, when he discovers that Billy Julian's wayward uh, older brother, uh, who has an enormous cock, according to his own mother, (laughs) um, according uh, to his
0: own
3: mother, uh, hey, she's the one that
2: says it. Although she does say that Julian had a decent cock too, just nothing like nothing like Billy's. This is an actual moment from the film. Uh, (laughs) Let's just say, uh, fellas, if you've ever been nervous about bringing a girl home to meet the folks. Uh, you've never experienced. You've never had to live through a scene quite like this, um, but uh, I again I digress a <laughs> third time.
0: Um, don't count. Um, don't count the digressions. <laughs> okay, uh, it's, it's, be, it's, we should it's, have like a
2: little ringing bell, a little <laughs> little ringing bell each time, a little like like at the, like the one, a you'd hear here at the beginning of a Muay Thai round. Um, but uh, so uh, Billy kills a teenage prostitute because he is he is totally he is a, also. Very much a venal Old Testament type of character, you know. Uh, he he just wants to uh, revel and experience the worst of humanity. Uh, one of his very first lines of dialogue is he he goes to a brothel, and he says this like it's something he's never done before. And he's just kind of offhandedly curious. The way the way that you or I might stroll into a convenience store and decide to try the new flavor of Skittles <laughs> that, that is on the shelf. Um uh, Billy just kind of fumbles on in and goes, I want to fuck a 14-year-old girl. He just says it like that. Like like i it's just something that's occurred to him, and it's a it's a level of finality and carnality that he is yet to try. And why the fuck not? Um, well, I mean, I know why not. You know why not. Uh, Billy <laughs> yeah. does not know why. Bil- not. For Billy, he doesn't. He no, he doesn't, just, he doesn't have
0: just, that he doesn't have that uh... it's a line to cross. It's it's yeah. a
2: it's a it's a thrill to experience and he wants to experience uh, something evil and depraved like that. And of course, so he ends up murdering the, that poor girl and Chang. And what we think is going to be like every cop scene at the beginning of a cop movie ever where, you know, it's that basic instinct scene where everyone shows up at Johnny Bos's house and, you know, or in jade, you know, it's a fuck house. Uh, but uh, <laughs> inst- instead... Chang looks at the situation. I love how quickly
0: and... you can recall all the character names and just bomb a quote out of basic instinct. I love you. Well so that was much, from Jade. that was from
2: Jade, by the way. That was from the masterpiece. <laughs> this is
3: Billy
0: Friedkin's Jade, bring it back to Friedkin. It's a fuckhouse.
2: Um but uh uh basically Chang locks the dead girl's father in a room with uh wayward Billy and lets the father beat the beat him to death. And then Chang cuts off the father's right hand for allowing his daughter to be uh, put in a situation like that. So he's—he's he's this man who is—is he's—he's dealing out vengeance. And at first we're like, okay, this is just a rogue cop. But then there's this series of scenes in which every time Chang makes a decision like this, uh, there's three major major moments where he will do something like this, where he will enact a near biblical amount of bloodletting in the name of his own curious brand of justice. It will, there will then be a hard cut to a karaoke bar where he is just singing. Uh, But he's not just, who who is he singing to? He's singing to every other cop that works for him. He's singing to his disciples uh, he is, he's singing to the men who believe in him and who follow He is singing gospels. Um, and, um, our good, our good buddy Jed Ayers, I think pointed that out, that, that these are his disciples. He's singing them their gospel. And in that way you realize, oh, this is God. This, the movie is setting up this man as God. And if, 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 uh, anyone have a passing familiarity with uh, Western culture for the last 2000 years, if there's a God, there's gotta be a devil. <laughs> and we get that in the form of Crystal Crystal Thompson, Christian um, Scott it. Thomas, as the mother of Billy and Julian, who goes up in Bangkok to kill God for his role in the death of her son, and that sets up everything that is only God forgives, which is it. Then pushes Julian to the, this man who has to, who is eternally at war with himself between violence. And between ending life and creating life, between touching the womb or beating a man until he's nothing but bone and pulp. Mm. And as as I said, these are not exactly uh, fresh themes. These are not exactly new ideas. <laughs> but I think what happens here is I think that Refn recognized, hey, these themes work for a reason. These themes have been fucking these things were cave paintings before we even had language because they speak to us on some level the elemental man they're they are and they're it's it's like the it's like the three-act structure uh it i don't know why it works but it's what works it's what our brains respond to and uh, i think that he much like the opening 10 minutes of drive. He's like, well, what you know what the fuck? What if I just take a little bit of the Oedipus tragedy? Uh, what if I, can I do something a little new with it, which is what happens after Oedipus? What if I sprinkle
0: in uh, some, and what if and I sprinkle in that there's no, there's no morality. Cause that's the other thing about the Oedipus complex is like the, the, the characters who are undertaking that the original characters who are now archetypes, know that they're doing something wrong and against God. And so it's almost like the punishment comes through, but what's so fascinating and perverse and very typically reference is that in this, it's like, no, that, that like, despite that they might've been displaced, but they don't regret their behaviors and nor does it seem like the fucking has stopped, even though it's not explicit in the movie well, it is extremely implicit in the movie. I don't know if you could say extremely implicit but it's on that borderline where it's flat out inferred that it's still happening. Well, honey
2: bunny, I don't like to get into arguments with you, but I am going to get into a tiny one here where I'm going to make a slight disagreement. You're allowed. I think that there I think there is one moral choice made.
0: Well, oh, okay, yeah, go two. ahead,
2: go ahead. There are two moral choices made by at least a human being i don't know if chang we can (laughs) even call him a human being he if he's gone and he appears to be uh he's making inventing morality he's creating what morality is in this film yeah by you you allow your you allow your daughter to get killed uh by being a fucking 16 year old sex worker well uh i'm gonna cut your goddamn hand off Mm -hmm. um And again, hands are so elementally part of this story. And if you notice, the hands pop up a lot in the uh, in the Bible as well. You know, I mean, it's how you work, it's how you interact with the world. Um, And uh, he's creating his own morality. Whether or not it's right or wrong is it's an interesting question. You know, that's that's a whole other movie. Is what if God's wrong and we're still living (laughs) in God's universe? Um, But uh, throughout the film. Uh, Julian is constantly uh, pinballing between Chang and Crystal, and Crystal is begging him to kill Chang because Chang's got her number. Yeah. Chang knows that uh, she's the the force behind all of this. You know, she puts a hit on Chang at one point, and uh, Chang does indeed want to kill her. And Chang doesn't really care about Julian. Chang just wants Julian out of the way. He even looks at him once and imagine God says this about you. He says he's not the one like he realizes that Julian's not a threat. So imagine God looks at you once and says, he's not the one, uh, which is, which is interesting. A lot of people said this movie was overly macho. And I think that's so funny because it's actually negatively macho. It's not macho <laughs> at all. It's a film. Uh, I know I have De Palma on the brain because I'm writing a book about the man right now, but um, all, the way that all of De Palma's male characters, for the most part are so kind of passive and uh, impotent, uh, both literally and figuratively, uh, Julian is a man of impotence. He's a man who who is so locked by Hamlet level indecision. He doesn't know what the fuck to do. Yes. Uh, and so at one point, Pang looks at him and goes, "He ain't the one. It's not him. We don't got to worry about this guy. He, he he's not part of this. Um. He he basically taught you know he's he's Julian wants to be Michael Corleone, but he's really Fredo. Uh,
3: <laughs>
2: but uh, there is a point in the film where crystal promises julian i'll be your mother again if you if you i know i've already asked you to do this once with your father i'm asking you to do it one more time can you can you take care of chang he considers it and we're going to get to some spoilery territory here what the fuck it's 10 years old um <laughs> he goes to kill he goes to kill uh with a buddy of his he goes to kill chang and chang's daughter uh and he can't do it he the he doesn't want the vengeance he's there's no reason for it to spiral. To Chang's daughter, and he doesn't like that. That's where he draws the line. He's willing to murder Chang, but he's not willing to murder Chang's daughter and let this cycle of vengeance continue on uh into into eternity. Um and so instead he kills his friend that's about ready to kill Chang's daughter. He makes a moral, he makes a moral choice to commit something evil, to commit to do something evil sake of a greater good he yeah. he starts muddying the water of the choice that god has given him uh it's not so easy to just be purely good or be purely evil he discovers that by doing something evil he can he can do something good uh and this is where the film kind of takes some of the the black and white of, of biblical stories and taints it neon red it adds color and hue to it uh interestingly enough every single time the two times i think that where uh chang and crystal shares screen time in the film at the the boxing uh the boxing ring and um uh, in her apartment all of the neon red color drains from the film and everything is black and white
0: yeah yeah it is
2: uh but when we see when we see julian everything is stained red uh and is indistinct and hard to the lines blur and then the second moral choice comes from we have this moment uh, Chang kills Crystal and Julian finds her body and he's carrying one of Chang's blades that he stole from Chang's house and you can't even give Refn credit for this Uh, during the making of the movie Refn asked Gosling what would you do here would you laugh or would your character laugh or cry at the discovery of his mom and uh, Gosling said I'd cut open her womb to see what was inside And that's what they filmed. (laughs) And finally, we realize uh, that even though he is chosen evil to do a good thing, uh, he he then with his hands, these hands he's always considering to enact violence, once again opens his hands the way he does to slide it between uh, that young woman's legs earlier in the film to touch her womb. He reaches deep inside his mother's own stomach and grasps the womb in which he was created and there is a hard cut and all of a sudden he's in the woods with shame yeah voluntarily and it's as if he has enacted his own rebirth the thing that he's wanted to be recycled out of this life that he's created for himself this oedipus tragedy this oedipal tragedy he's created for himself and in this moment of rebirth, what is the thing that he voluntarily does to go gives, forward? He gives his hands.
0: Puts his he hands opens. To...
2: He 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 takes his fists and he puts them outward in front of Chang's blade, and he does so voluntarily. He's the only character that voluntarily offers himself up, and it's it's a curious ending. And I think there's multiple ways of reading it, but it's almost you could argue that he's saying. I want to enter this next, I, now that I am reborn and am going to live a different life, I want to remove the instruments of violence from myself, the instruments of hatred from myself. But he's also, he's removing the thing that lets him seek out rebirth and love, if he were just to open his hands. And so it's a curious ending, and I don't know where you land. I have not landed on either one yet. I'm curious what you might think. Um, I can't decide if he's, Choosing to live a life simply without violence going forward or if he's literally saying fuck this free will shit take away these things that are constantly making me choose one or the other because i don't want to deal with it. i i don't want to think about it you know and so does it end almost like um the truncated american version of uh the novel clockwork orange where um you know, uh, Alex just has his choice taken away from him, and uh, and does he does he choose just to not mature into a place where he can choose to just be good, even though he has the capability of evil, or does he need that choice making, made for him? And I can't quite decide what the movie yeah, I think, is doing I think,
0: with think th- I think that's a really great question. I think it's the way that I would say that I've read it is I, I've landed sort of probably somewhere between the two that but not in a fixed position. Um, Because the thing that I see is that, you know, like Chang's blades, his hands are the instruments of all of the chaos that has been in his life. Um, And whether that's the touch, the inference of the touch with his mother and the whole Oedipal thing that's happening and all of the things, and then the beating and the violence. And it's like, if you just take these and it's that thing is like, you know, the, the, his, his idle hands were the devil's play thing and they were crystals devil's play thing, you know? So at the time it's like, if I just give my hands up to God and I get him to sever them, then I can't, you know, I can't use these instruments. I can't be a tool for evil. And so that's how I've kind of found that moment. And I don't know, I don't know exactly where I land on it every single time I watch it. Cause it's sort of like, you know, I think you, you've perfectly synthesized like all of the things that really work for the movie about it but it's like that final like sacrifice of getting rid of his hands and but i have always i'm I'm never actually sure like is he going to survive <laughs> like is he actually I mean, that's really going question. to question i mean there's that's, a couple of yeah. important
2: arteries in that area yeah, uh, yeah. You,
0: you, you sever both hands and he's in the woods like i don't know and he's in thailand so i don't know how close he is to the best medical facilities in thailand he's severing it off and it's like it's almost like is that a, a kind of like if if I sever these hands, can I die in peace that the instruments of evil are gone and I can sort of maybe take this new transit, you know, transition state out of this thing and, and be ready to be forgiven um, and therefore like have part pass into the next life or pass into the next realm or how, however it's sort of phrased is yeah, I'm not sure he ever survives out of that. And, and honestly, you could, I could watch it one time my most recent time watching it in preparation for talking to you, or I could watch it, you know, six months ago and I would probably have two different opinions. Yeah. Be- I don't know. I, like, I always you know, tend, I-, I always tend to think, and this is a weird digression. Ding, here we go again. But like I went to Africa on my honeymoon with my wife and when we were there I grazed my knee playing football or soccer as Americans call it with some of the locals. Like we were just playing on a beach and I grazed my knee. Now I've grazed my knee a thousand times in my life, like fine. And in Australia, like a grazed knee, you know, even if you're like swimming and having fun in the ocean or whatever, it's like the grazed knee goes away in like a week, you know, it scabs up, goes away. But in Africa, it didn't. I got like, I got a staph infection in that cut and i had to take antibiotics in africa you know Jeez, because, and no. and i remember that one of our guides who we were with one of our tour guides that we were with was like yeah like is that like africa tries to kill you <laughs> like you don't heal your body doesn't heal and then it starts to get bad and then you get sick and then you know the circle of life is that animals smell your rotting wound and go oh there's someone weak here i'm going to come and eat you and so i fortunately we were on a trip with that uh, one of our one of our friends that we made on the trip was actually a nurse in her home life from New Zealand. And she helped me clean it, get it ready and bandage it up so that it would, it would actually start healing. I took antibiotics and then it went away. But so I, the way that I think about it now is like, well, if I was in a Thai jungle, I think I'm dead. If he severs my hands, I'm going to bleed out.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
0: I don't know. So that's my, that's, this. that's just my experience because a graze nearly got me a staph infection yeah, that could so have been cool. life-threatening in Africa. So yeah. you know? yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I bet Chang keeps a clean blade though. Yeah, But that's, that's the great
2: thing. That's the great thing about this movie that I think it's so underrated is it does pose those questions, which is, you know, what happens after, what happens after hmm. um, post Oedipus, what happens? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I know we know what happens after the Old Testament. There's all, there's a new one, um,
0: <laughs> but uh you know, I I I, I do. The think sequel's it's... much brighter. The reboot was much yeah, brighter. Yeah.
2: Only God, only God forgives too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, neon boogaloo. <laughs> but uh, the it's it's a troubling it's a troubling everything about this movie's troubling, but it's a troubling way to end your movie because uh, for Reffin and that it's it's all you know. The more I I watch, the more I think about it. It's almost like humanity in the form of Julian going back to God with a receipt. And, yes. and just being like this, this free will thing. You just can, can I return this? Can, can I just, <laughs> can I cash this out and just go on my day without having to worry about this shit? And so, you know, there's many, but like there's many ways to, interpret. there's many, you know, you can just, you can view that ending as, as, as Julian saying, look, I nearly killed your daughter. I owe you my hands. I, yes. I saved her. So you're not going to kill me, but uh, I owe you my hands for being a part of this cycle of violence. Uh, you know, he does kill a cop that is uh, guarding. Uh, Chang's daughter so it's a you know you can just view it oh no it's just it's just the end of the the cycle of vengeance ends with you know the very first shot of this movie is uh, Julian considering these hands and these hands that are once you you know after he clinches them uh, it cuts to you know Chang walking around a corner is almost it's almost as if the, the, the potential for violence and when Julian clinches his hands uh, manifests God into this universe and mm. brings gets his attention and so it, it, it's fitting that the film would then end with with him saying here take the fists away but again I, I wonder what the ultimate meaning of that is is it simply just hey you know I fucked up you gotta take them I get it I don't I, you know it's like uh you get in too many car accidents or too many speeding tickets you lose that driver's license uh or is it uh is it something deeper which is him saying you know, these hands that are both capable of great violence but also love and exploration and rebirth fuck it i don't want to i don't want to deal with choice anymore make (laughs) me an automaton who can't choose i because at least i you know i won't be stressed out at least i won't have to debate within myself which side of the muay thai fight uh, between good and evil i want to be on that's pretty troubling and i don't know the answer but you know who else doesn't know the answer (laughs) according to good our good pal billy Freakin nick Reffin nick, nick doesn't have a fucking clue what his movies are about <laughs> i mean he's my friend but he doesn't have a fucking idea what only god forgives is oh bless you billy uh but yeah that's i i think that um i think that in a moment of creative crisis i think that Reffin realized that hey uh Go to the classics, uh, slap some of my some of my weird neon crime shit on there. And <laughs> you got a movie, baby. Um alienated all of the people it needed to alienate, which were the people uh you know who just wanted to drive to. And it's not quite deeply alienate all the people deeply alienated to... it's not deeply quite alienated. sorcerer the way i think refin wants people to think that only god forgives a sorcerer keep refin always seems to forget Friedkin didn't want to alienate anybody with sorcerer he thought he was making his ultimate box office smash masterpiece uh with with sorcerer it didn't work out that way but uh you know uh, Friedkin, uh or excuse me Reffin. i think the only thing refin knew when he was making this movie is that he wanted to alienate the bros <laughs> uh
0: and alienate and, and and he's continued to do that neon demon uh too old to die young and even copenhagen cowboy he's he's continued to alienate the bros he loves alienating Which, bros
2: to his credit i think he knew what those projects were when he started them. uh yes. <laughs> with this one i think i think he had a movie where he's like fuck i gotta make a movie about muay thai boxing what the fuck How do I, I don't know anything. He talks in the commentary trap and music. I don't know anything about this shit. I just blurted it out uh, to the executives and they gave me money. Uh, And, but I think he was like, you know, you can pick and choose some of the best themes from the best, most elemental human stories and use that as a showcase for his visual sensibilities, which are absolutely stunning. Uh, And hey, you got a movie, you got a movie, baby. You got a stew going. (laughs) Um, he's like, you know, he's like Carl Weathers and, uh, uh, Arrested Development, you know, (laughs) get a, get a broth, a couple of, a couple chicken bones. You got to stew, baby. Uh, and I think that's what happened with Only God Forgives, which I do think, I think is, yeah, yeah. I think is a masterpiece. I think it is exquisite and classy. He doesn't <laughs> know a
0: fucking. Piece. No, but I mean, Reppin doesn't
2: know what the fuck it is, and if he tells you it's a masterpiece, don't listen because he didn't. Know, he he wouldn't even know why it's a masterpiece. You and I do. We know why. We
0: know. Um,
2: but I I think it is a masterpiece. I think it is uh, him operating at the height of his very strange, sometimes dubious skill set, and it is certainly not absolutely not for everyone um especially because it is is a film that tells so much of its story visually and very strangely a lot of audiences despite film being a visual medium do not like when films just tell their story visually uh and they don't have someone connecting the dots even though you know hey chris scott thomas rolls in and I think lays it out pretty pretty graphically in one um, one uncomfortable dinner sequence, but uh, people might be distracted by by Billyie's uh, enormous cock at' scene. who knows? <laughs> um, but I, I, I think it is a I think it is a masterpiece. I think it is a tra- it is transcendent in that it transcends his simple neon noir uh, roots and goes again for something more el- elemental. It's, it's, it's it's not Shakespeare. it's not it's not Greek tragedy. Uh, but it uses those things to a very interesting degree to ask some very actually fascinating questions that I don't think the film answers. I think the film wants us to figure out. Um, I think uh, I'm not going to give Reverend total credit for that. I, I think he wants us to figure it out because he fucking can't. But uh, <laughs> it, it wants us. He's to not figure quite. Out. He's
0: not quite like Abbas Kiarostami, like the Iranian filmmaker, is like movies yeah. are alive when when. You have to lean in, and and I'm gonna make you do part of the work because for me, designing a movie that has a lot of gaps that I need you to pour yourself into to interrogate as the film is unfolding, is important to me. Um, that doesn't seem to be he doesn't seem to be as delicate in his cinematic, poetic storytelling no, no, no. as someone but hey, like that.
2: You know what? If nothing else, it is a gorgeously shot, gorgeously yeah. framed. Uh, I hate when people compare something to Kubrick because it's just such a lazy junk drawer shorthand film bro thing to say, but this definitely does have that Kubrickian sense of style and pacing Mm. and every single frame is a portrait you can just hit pause and stare at where you don't even have to hit pause because most of the shots are so fucking long <laughs> uh you can really immerse yourselves but it, it is it's a it's a it's a living breathing neon uh rorschach and you know you someone else who might like the movie might watch it and be like oedipus the bible can shakespeare what the fuck are you talking about it's a kickboxing movie um or they might just be no it's just it's a it's a crime movie where not a lot of dialogue occurs it's just a basic ass crime movie it's black rain with less dialogue babe um <laughs> come on babe but uh kind of I, less dialogue uh, than black rain babe. Uh, well, but i uh i i do think it is a masterpiece of sorts um and i think it's probably in my uh, neon demon give, gives it a good run i i think it probably it is his best movie oh. even if he doesn't intend even if it's not his best movie in the way he intended uh, i think just simply because he attaches uh, this film to themes that are so elemental and immortal and of ever-present and eternal concern to mm. any thinking human being uh it it's hard for me to see this movie and not feel that debate what am i going to do with these hands and uh, I, I think that's kind of the eternal debate and i think he made a movie about that even though he didn't realize it until he was watching it at the premiere of the con film festival uh <laughs> a year later but yeah that's uh that's only god forgives to me
0: well that is the perfect outro because i'm gonna leave you wondering with travis's hints um and and ruminating on the big thoughts that can be in a movie in the only the way that travis can do and say you know what he's damn good when you get him behind a microphone. What is he going to do with these hands? What is he going to do with these hands? Is he going to clench those fists and come back and fight for something else? Who knows? But Travis Woods, it is always my greatest pleasure to talk to you on shows like this because no one... Uh, no one bleeds like you bleed for movies as our friend jordan harper said so man thank you so much for coming to talk to me about this movie we'll have to think of another movie in 2014 as the decade project continues you're gonna have to go to your 2014 list and see uh if anything pops off there um uh, well know... there's a
2: movie called inherent vice came out in december of 2014 maybe i ought to talk about that
0: yeah well i don't know if you remember this we kind of did about mm, i don't, I don't know what what's, what's what's an hour and a half times 46 you know kind of you know maybe uh 67 hours of show I mean, maybe we, more we, on that we, we did Way a lot more we than, did a lot there was a lot on that so i i we maybe don't have to go back to that one but you know there could be others that are in 2014 that might be of interest um but man thank you so much for doing this um this is going to go up uh on our patreon uh as well First, before people hear it, before our American Cinematheque, Inherent Vice, or any. So, you want to say just a couple of words about that?
2: Well, hell, uh, any LA listeners, or hey, listeners anywhere else, but they got a little extra cash to spend, you want to fly (laughs) on out? Like we got a couple of people who are doing that. Um, The American Cinematheque, which is an organization out here in beautiful sunny Los Angeles, uh, that uh, organizes screenings at the Los Feliz Three. Uh, the Aero Theater, uh, the currently under construction Egyptian Theater. Mm. Uh, the American Cinematheque is, it's just a, it's a place, uh, it's an organization uh, that loves film, believes in film. They put on the the best screenings. Uh, they're all. There are big supporters of things like Beyond Fest, which is the greatest film festival ever that we have every year in Los Angeles, the genre film festival. But anyway, um, the American Cinematheque is putting on a film festival called Friends of the Fest in which they are corralling uh, a bunch of hotshot film podcasts and the hosts of these podcasts to present films. And you've got... uh, one handsome Blake Howard making history by being the only person to have not one, but two <laughs> podcasts being celebrated uh, in that Miami Nice will be kicking off this film festival with a screening of Miami Vice at the Los Feliz 3 on August 24th, 7 p.m. And then that Saturday night. August 26th, also at 7pm at the Los Feliz 3, I will be hosting with Blake projected blazingly huge on the screen behind me, like Marlon Brando's <laughs> giant head behind Christopher Reeve in Superman. We will be presenting a 35 millimeter, glorious 35 millimeter screening of Inherent Vice a film that yes we did 46 episodes of a podcast on with hot shots like paul thomas anderson and ken morgan and ryan johnson buddies like sa cosby and jordan harper and yeah we're just uh we're gonna do one last victory of that for increment vice our little podcast that could um and talk about the film inherent vice uh tickets are still available uh miami vice has already sold out because it's Miami, fucking vice. But um, <laughs> you increment an inherent vice heads out there if you're looking for a good time. And by the way, if you're looking for some free weed, I will be reading some, <laughs> uh, as well as it's free legal in California, ladies and
0: gentlemen. Legal in California.
2: Legal in California. Show me your ID. Let me let's make it. Just show me that you're over twenty-one. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I'm also going to be bringing frozen chocolate covered bananas in honor of one, uh, dear, uh, Christian F. Bigfoot yeah, Um, and then, yeah, we're just gonna, we're gonna celebrate Inherent Vice with, uh, and we're gonna, we're gonna watch the movie as God and PTA intended, which is in a dark room in Los Angeles on 35 fucking millimeter film. Oof. Hearts full of heartbreak and hope and a little high and uh we're gonna watch a film that i think is um, the masterpiece of 2014 i think it's pta's masterpiece and i'm not going to tell you why because we spent 150 fucking hours already <laughs> doing that but i would invite anyone who wants to to come on out and you know you're, you're going to see some familiar faces you're going to hear some familiar voices i think a lot of um la-based uh increment vice guests are going to be there um and afterwards hey you know who knows i think we're gonna go hit a bar next door come come see the movie have a drink with us uh i'll get blake on facetime and he can just the phone can sit at the bar and he can watch us uh jibber jabber or something like that
0: that would be wonderful i would be happy to do that all day drink in australia while you guys are all uh having an excellent post vice watch i might have to watch it in my office uh so that i can be up to speed there you you, go my man this is this is excellent. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so appreciative of your time. I can't wait for everything that you're doing with uh, your great De Palma book. And we'll obviously be talking more about that in the lead up. But uh, thank you so much for doing this. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for everybody. I'll see you soon.
1: Feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency, and even then he might not have succeeded. It's incredible because, like, if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch Fearless. <laughs> not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark. A year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even, that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know, sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that and something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an. they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh,
3: Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far but i i truly think what makes peter weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about peter weir that way and we should peter weir is one of those guys who i don't get why he isn't a bigger name why he isn't more in that rarefied air because i think film for film he's one of our very best filmmakers he has brought his a game repeatedly to many properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito Coast. i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker a smart lyrical um hallucinatory filmmaker he's a very dreamy filmmaker and I don't think he gets his due.
1: You know, Master Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's a, such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics, in the truest sense, um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors, change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see 10 of those, you know? Yeah, uh, I, yeah I know they are big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir, <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration
3: and awe. If you're gonna pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man.
1: Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this Blake
0: that's right our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander the series is called Podcaster and Commander